Hello and welcome to the Power in the Key podcast. I'm your host, Neil Winterton, and joining me on the line as he does every week, it's Ben Cad. How are you, Caddy? Good, Winnow. Good to be back again this week as the season continues to, to roll on and um, my Chicago Bulls are heading home from the Western Western Conference trip. A bit weary, but um, a successful road trip. All the same, not that they've had many of those over the, the journey when they head west. They normally get belted, so it's a, a pleasing for them to, um, to get the three and two uh, on the West Coast road trip. No doubt at all. They and that that was sort of seen as their big acid test, wasn't it? They had that good start to the season, and I think everybody looked at their schedule and thought, "Oh, okay, let's see how they go on this West Coast trip." But as you said, they've been super impressive, certainly led by uh, Demar Derozan, who was sort of questioned as as an off season signing, but he's he's certainly come to the party, and yeah, that they they've been one of the the, the standout teams, no doubt. Uh, of the season so far, and obviously some some really good coaching, and and, and you were telling me, Caddy, that there, there there wasn't some great coaching going on in your absence. You the under eights uh, that you you usually coach, and you, you unfortunately had a prior engagement, and in your absence, Caddy, they went down fifty nil. Uh, obviously, just missed the uh, the X's and O's that you would have drawn up for them. <laughs> yeah, well, I clearly didn't respond to the, the instructions from the filling coach, but um, yeah, under eight boys, the great ones, um, yeah, had their pants pulled down. Um, there's no other way of uh, describing it, really. 50 to nil, and uh, from all reports, and of course not being there, that the the other mob were pretty happy to run the score up and um, use the excuse that it was a grading game, and you know that's what they're there to do is test themselves. So um, I'm not sure whether we'll have a team next week. <laughs> this might be a bit shell shocked and may not come back. I don't mean. Oh look, I'm sure. I'm sure once they get you back in the fold, Caddy, that uh, some, as I said, your X's and O's acumen. Will come to the fore, and uh, I'm sure they'll bounce back strongly uh, next week. Uh, what we're going to do this week, Caddy, is we're going to do the old barstool debate, as as you do when you sit around with a few mates and you have a few beers. You you start to debate who's better out of this guy and that guy. Um, there'll be a little bit of sort of a spin on it, but uh, this was inspired by uh, Dwayne Wade uh, during the week. Created a few headlines when he was asked uh, who we'd rather start a franchise with, out of KD or Steph Curry, and Given that it's good enough for Dwayne Wade to answer that, Caddy, we'll kick it off with that one, I think. I'll, I'll ask you, Caddy, if you were to start a franchise, who would you rather start it with, uh, Kevin Durant or Steph Curry? Oh, well, you know, really difficult, obviously, to, to try and separate these guys. And I think, you know, the question you've asked is maybe a little bit different to which is the best player, and I think that that's subjective as well. But uh, if we're looking at terms of starting the franchise, I'd be leaning towards Steph Curry. I think it's more just... From a cultural point of view, I think, uh, again, and we, we speak a lot about body language and, and that's all we can really go off because we clearly don't have any intimate knowledge or relationships um, or insight into the inner workings of a lot of these players. But I think when you look at a guy like Steph, who seems to be a wonderful teammate, a, a great leader, um, has stayed at that franchise from when he was drafted and even through some difficult times, initially with both the, the team form and his own injury uh, concerns, he's he's been able to... Uh, to really lead uh, the Warriors for the best part of a decade now, and he's well loved, obviously internally and universally. I think um, KD seems to be, you know, you know, it's hard to knock him at all in terms of the way he plays. He, he, oh, look, I, I think he's probably the best player in the world, and I think that showed out again at, at the Olympic Games when, you know, particularly when it gets to, as you call it, nut crunching time. He was the guy that continued to stand up um, in those situations, and I think you know, at his size and his shooting um, and, and his versatility, I think maybe have a nose in front. But if I was to start a team and, and look to build something, I think it's Steph Curry's the guy I'd want to build it around. And, and he's just shown us again what a wonderful 
player he is and and leader and um, you know the way the Golden State Warriors have started this season uh, was quite funny. Yeah, not funny, but ironic, I suppose, with this question that both these players were the Eastern and Western players of the, the week at the end of last week, uh, both clearly having terrific seasons uh, once again. Um, but for me, I think just culturally and, and symbolically, I think Steph Curry is the guy I'd, I'd want to initially build around if I had to choose. Yeah, I, I totally see where you're coming from. He's sort of almost seen as the modern-day Tim Duncan, is he? Obviously, Duncan had a long and storied career with the San Antonio Spurs. There was the one little sort of dalliance, if you like, that he had with the Orlando Magic and almost signed there, I believe, when possibly with Grant Hill. But uh, he obviously stuck it out with, with the one franchise, and it certainly seems that that's the, the path that uh, Steph Curry is going to tread as well. I'm probably just only slightly. I mean, we're talking about two of the best players in the world, as you said, and you would probably lean towards KD slightly. And that's that's why I will say KD, j- just for the pure fact that I think he's slightly the better player. Now, you brought up, obviously, the good point about the cultural stuff and all that. But I guess w- when you're starting a franchise and you said and you say, who, who could you have, who would you rather, either KD or Steph Curry, once you've got either one of those guys, I guess absolutely nothing out else outside of that is guaranteed. So I just think KD has the has the ability to take pretty much anyone to be a, a very good team. Now, we saw last season the Golden State Warriors, they, they certainly didn't have a great roster around Steph Curry, and they ended up missing out on, on the playoffs. They obviously lost that play-in tournament to the Memphis Grizzlies, but KD, in the end, you know, he had Kyrie Irving was out injured, and he had about a 30% fit James Harden, and he almost carried the Brooklyn Nets with not much else around him, I don't think, to to almost knocking off what was obviously eventually the championship-winning team in the Milwaukee Bucks. And if it hadn't have been for the fact that KD, for whatever reason, uh, wears size half a size, wears shoes half a size bigger than he needed, he, they probably would have ended up going to the finals and potentially winning a championship. We've seen KD obviously win two titles, and both times he was the finals-winning MVP. So... I guess, obviously, when you start a franchise, your ultimate goal is to win a championship. So for me, I just feel that I think KD is more likely to be able to carry a team to a championship and perform on the biggest stage. I'm not going to, you know, a lot of people look at Steph Curry and say that, you know, he's won three titles but has never once won a finals MVP. We've we've discussed this in the past, Katie, and I think he was obviously very stiff to not win that first one when... Iguodala got the, got the nod, but uh, yeah, for me, just slightly, I'm going to go KD, and I think also his ability to be able to defend. Steph Curry is obviously not a minus defender, but he can get picked on a little bit because of his lack of size, and, and I think probably that defense slightly edges it towards KD for me in, in, in his favor. Yeah, no, that's absolutely fair enough. Um, KD is an absolute gun champion, there's no doubt, and, and I think in terms of a position um, I think I'd probably, if I was starting a new team, I would prefer to start around a, a versatile seven-footer, um, ideally. But yeah, but at, at, as I said, I think you know if you're looking to literally start a franchise from scratch and, and have someone sort of be able to be there and, and, and teach and lead and nurture and, and try and sort of build something within, I, I think Steph's got that those attributes more than say KD, who who looks like he's a bit more introverted. Is you know, even in that Warriors game that they played last week, Brooklyn versus Golden State, you know, it was, it was pretty much a line ball at half time, and then you know Steph really came out firing in that third quarter, and the defense the Golden State were playing was was just incredible, and 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 this, you could just see the shoulders slumping, particularly from you know KD and, and Harden, and, and it was 
I think, you know, that, that's some of those attributes that I'm, I'm talking about from KD that, you know, when, when the going got a little bit tough in, in that one. And, and it was quite surprising having Steve Nash really pulled the, the plug on it with about 10 minutes to go in the last quarter, which was an early um, throw the towel in. Really, you don't see that too often. But, um, yeah, Steph was just on another level. And, and um, that, that Warriors team, to their credit, is, um, yeah, absolutely firing all, all cylinders. They certainly are, and we're seeing now the last couple of games, and even during that Brooklyn game, uh, Steph Curry getting the MVP chance when he <clears throat> when he goes to the free throw line, which is obviously very unusual for for a uh, an, a, an opposing player to, to get the MVP chance when they when they're playing at somebody's uh, arena. So yeah, he, he's been outstanding. It's he'd, he'd, he'd obviously have his nose in front given uh, the, the Golden State Warriors record so far in the MVP discussion, but but it's those two at the moment and. Either way, you're going to be happy with the consolation prize, aren't you, Caddy? Whether you get KD or Steph Curry, you pretty much can't go wrong. You lean slightly Steph and I lean slightly KD. And uh, I don't think either of us are wrong. I'm going to say I'm right. You're going to say you're right. But uh, you could certainly mount uh, some pretty good arguments for either player. We'll move on now, Caddy, to the second one. And I actually brought this one up last year. I think it was pretty early on in the season uh, when when Zion was out injured. Um, and we're again seeing that uh, this year, and we've seen Ja Morant explode a little bit. So I'm going to ask you the question now, Caddy. For the rest of their careers, who would you rather take, Zion Williamson or Ja Morant? Yeah, I found this one a little bit easier, I think, um, just when you, you sit that through. And I, I just think it's got to be Morant at this stage. Um, just with the, the real uncertainty surrounding Williamson's body, um, his fitness, his longevity. He's a, he's a big guy, and you know how well is he going to age? Compared to a guy like Morant, who you know he's sort of more got that prototypical NBA body since three, you know he's a bit lighter, so you think you know he should be able to age relatively well. The concern with him would be uh, when when you sort of go back and look at even a guy like Derek Rose, who who played with that same sort of energy and, and twisting and turning that we see from Ja Morant. So you just hope like hell he, he he's not going to be prone to you know a serious ankle or knee injury at some point, just for the way he. He um, you know, pivots and 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 twists it in his way onto into the basket. So, I think at this stage, um, Moran has shown he's you know been able to stay out on the floor. Um, initially, Williamson's got that big question mark around his his body and, and whether he's going to be able to sustain uh, you know a lengthy career at, at a high level. I mean, we saw last year, you know, he had a terrific sophomore season last year, averaging twenty seven points a game. There's absolutely no. Uh, concerns there. He played 61 of the 72 games, and you think, all right, here we go. This is going to be the start of something really, really special. But as we know, he just hasn't taken the floor so far this year with a, with a foot injury, and, and I think that's for me got a bit of a, a red flag on it going forward. And Jar Morant's just continued to improve season on season, up to 25 points a game now in his third season, seven assists, and, and leading it, you know, being a real team leader for a, a young Memphis side. So I think. Longer term, in terms of having the better career, um, I think it's going to be, uh, for me, it's going to be John Moran. He's the guy I'd, I'd, I'd want to be in the corner of. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you on this one. It's funny, isn't it, when you know going into the draft, Zion was seen as this generational talent and he, he was the one that everybody wanted to get. And, and John Morant was clearly seen as that second pick, but most experts thought there was a pretty reasonable gap between them. And when I posed this question Last year, I did actually wonder whether Ja Morant had gone past Zion at that stage, and then we saw 
uh, Zion come in and, and, and you said what he did last year with the 27 points a game, the seven rebounds, the four assists, the 61% from the field. He was just, just an absolute wrecking ball. He was putting up numbers in the paint that hadn't been seen since prime Shaq, you know, for a guy in his second season. It was just absolutely incredible. And I think everybody was really excited to see uh, what he was going to do this season, whether he was going to be able to add maybe some shooting, um, some outside shooting, that is, uh, to his arsenal and, he was seen as a really good defender when he was at Duke, but we hadn't really seen that uh, in the NBA, probably because of his lack of conditioning, and we were hoping he was going to be able to take that step. But it's obviously a huge concern, as you said, his ability to be able to stay on the floor. And, you know, Ja Morant certainly has some question marks, obviously not quite as big as, as uh, Zion, but, you know, he's played 67 and 63 games in his first two seasons. So, you know, not, not an absolute picture of health, but when you compare... Uh, ja Morant, since they've been drafted, has played 145 games, and Zion Williamson has only played the 85 games. So just a just a huge golf, and and, and that's why I'm going to agree with you, and that, and that was the reason that you certainly uh, picked Morant over Zion. Just his ability to be able to stay on the floor, and just a leap that he's taken this season, that third year leap that you want to see these guys make. That that's when the real quality players make a leap and sort of jump out of the pack and say that they're one of the best players in the league. You know, there was some early MVP buzz about the way uh, Ja Morant had started the season. He's probably come back to earth just a little bit, but as you said, averaging the, the 25 points, the, the nearly six rebounds and the seven assists, shooting almost 50% from the field for a point guard is absolutely outstanding. And he's, I think pleasingly, he's been able to list, uh, lift his three-point shooting from 30% last year, which is obviously uh, below league average, to 36%, which almost 37%, which is, you know, more, more than... Uh, capable from uh, from deep. So, yeah, for me, he, he's just really exciting. He's really captured the imagination of all NBA fans this year with his ability to, you know, to finish around the rim and, and throw down some real highlight dunks. Um, as you said, there's certainly some compa- comparisons to, to young Derek Rose. Hopefully he doesn't have any of those injuries. But if, you were, if you're just throwing out the, the injury concern, and that's certainly not what this question was because you've got to consider that, if you were just going to say to them, uh, say uh, if I just said to you, both of these guys are going to have you know very similar health uh, throughout the rest of their careers. W- would you lean towards Zion based on just their ability? Oh, look, probably just because he's a bit more of an unknown. It's, it's something the type of player is and the way he plays. It's just not what we generally see. So there's probably a little bit more intrigue, I suppose, around Zion, and it's a little bit more exciting. I think just because of that uncertainty with him and, and the way he plays, but. You know, Morant's, you know, I think you, you see what you get and, um, you know, he's a fabulous player. But, yeah, look, possibly you, you, you might tip the table or turn the tables there. And, 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 you know, if you're looking at both in the schoolyard and with the size and presence of Zion and all things being healthy, then, yeah, perhaps, you know, he would be the, the selection. But, you know, as you said, we, we've got to take it on uh, face value here in terms of, you know, injury history. And, and as I said a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, around that foot injury and, and the way that, you know, from what we have seen, some of the vision of Zion, he, he looks like he's got even heavier, and I just don't think that's going to bode well with a, you know, with a, 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 a foot that's going to need to be repaired and and just longer term, how, how how many years and how many seasons he's going to be able to play with that that physical way that he plays. So I think there's a little bit more uh, concern around that for me. Yeah, no doubt, and and that that's a really good point you bring up. The fact that he's you know carrying a lot of weight, he's carried weight generally throughout his first couple of seasons. So it looks to me, 
you know, obviously from afar, that the penny hasn't quite dropped with Zion and he's not understanding what's required to be an elite player at the NBA level. He's obviously got by, you know, right throughout his life on his unbelievable athletic ability and, you know, understandably so, you can fall into a trap of thinking, well, I'm that good, you know, I don't need to work as hard off the off the court and, and my natural ability is going to get me by. And, and, and so far that has proved to be the case. And, and maybe the fact that he had such a good season last year could have been the worst thing for him because he's clearly not dedicating himself off-field to making sure he's presenting himself in the best possible light. And when you look at Ja Morant, they're obviously totally different builds, but, you know, he, he's he's very wiry and looks, you know, looks like he's very dedicated. And the fact that he's obviously increased his his shooting capabilities says to me anyway that he's he's a guy that's you know really locked in about getting the best out of himself and and that's certainly some guy that that's you'd certainly rather bet on a guy that looks like he's really invested in getting the best out of himself as opposed to a guy that's probably getting by more so on natural ability. I will ask you another question about uh, these two guys. They're both seen as as incredible athletes and, and guys that can certainly throw down um, some really incredible dunks. If you're picking one of these two to to see in a slam dunk competition, which one would you prefer to go with out of the two of these guys? I think it's Zion for sure. I think the power that he'd be bringing to it. And, and again, he, he's just got a different um, vibe about him, I suppose, a different level of intrigue when he's out on the court. It's just, you, you just can't take your eyes away from him. And, and, and that's, no disrespect to Ja Moran, who is fabulous and, and, and electric and, and so talented. But so I think Zion's just a different beast altogether. And I think, yeah, the sort of the power that he could bring to a dunk contest if he got things right would be really, really exciting. Oh, it would be. As you, as you said, the, the power is just incredible. I, I'd, I'd, actually, I'd actually lean Ja Morant. We've seen just his ability to almost levitate. I mean, Zion does that as well. But I just think it looks better with a smaller guy dunking more so than a bigger guy, it just looks more impressive that they're jumping higher and and that and they can probably hang in the air a little bit. I mean, Blake Griffin w- was seen as obviously an exceptional dunker when when he came into the NBA, and, and you know we've seen the big dunks that he's thrown down over Perkins and, and and a couple of others throughout his career. But he obviously won the slam dunk competition when he went into it. But I I, I don't know if you were impressed when you saw that. He obviously jumped over the car. And, and and threw that down. But I, I didn't think it was all that impressive. I just don't think watching a bigger guy dunk as opposed to watching a smaller guy dunk looks quite as good for whatever reason. I don't know. That's just my personal opinion. So I'd love to see Ja Morant uh, in a slam dunk competition. I'd love to see both of these guys, actually. And maybe that's something that we talk about, Caddy, when the All-Star break uh, approaches us. We'll, we'll try and put together a dream team of uh, slam dunk uh competitions and uh, entrance, and, and I'm sure both of these guys would figure pre- pretty prominently in, in anybody if they were trying to put together a dream team for a slam, slam dunk competition. We'll move on now, Caddy, to the next one, and I'm going to ask you for a playoff run, so whether it's a series or three series or however long it goes for, we don't know. For a playoff run, who would you prefer to have, Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic? Let's say they're both healthy. That's why I'm just saying a playoff run because – Obviously, Joel Embiid's got that that sort of checkered past of of getting an injury. So both healthy going into a playoff run. Who would you prefer, jo- Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic? Oh, that's really really difficult. No, I think you you made it a little bit harder when you sort of prefaced with the the fact you can't take the injury, you know, in, or anything like that into account because that that'd be the knock on Embiid's whether he, you know if he could stay. Well, well, know, he healthy. might get injured during the playoffs. I'm saying he's healthy going into the first game. Yeah, look, they, they both had 
you know, pretty interesting um, playoff careers, really. Like, uh, if you look at Nikola Jokic, he's played in 43 playoff games. He's 20 wins, 23 losses. And Embiid's played in the 34, 16 wins, 18 losses. So they're both just batting there under 50% in terms of wins and losses and clearly, you know, haven't been able to progress either of them all the way uh, to a finals at this stage. So they've both sort of, you know, been been a part of some, some tough series. They've both been swept in the past. They've both, you know, had, had good seven-game wins. So, and their stats are, are, are pretty equal. If you're looking at the, the 34 games for Embiid, he's averaging the tw- uh, 24 points and 11 rebounds. Jokic is, uh, through those 43 games, 26 points and 11 rebounds. So really close in terms of the statistics. I mean, potentially, you know, just that, Added ability for Nikola Jokic as a passer potentially for me would would give him the edge. It just means he's got an extra string to his bow when things really do get tight. And the, as we know, the, the defense is clamped down heavily on on those star players. I think Jokic has got a few more tricks there that he can free himself up and be be serviceable and creative, even if he's a, you know if his shots not falling or if the you know the defense is closing on him, he still has that avenue to assist his team through his you know, incredible passing ability, where Embiid really is going to be relying on you know, pounding on the inside, getting that sort of fadeaway uh, corner jumper going and you know, just dominating in the paint. But you know, if that's taken away from him for whatever reason, you know, he just doesn't have that uh, same ability to, to create and get his teammates involved. So probably purely from that reason, I think I would lean slightly towards Nikola Jokic and it'd be a really, really slight advantage, I think, because they're both clearly capable of, of dominating um, playoff series, um, you know, even last year in the Atlanta series for Philly, where they lost in the seven games where Ben Simmons, you know, effectively went missing down the stretch of a couple of those games. It was Embiid that, that really carried him. He averaged 30 points, 12 rebounds in that series through seven games, which is, you know, an outstanding, outstanding performance. That said, we've also seen, you know, Embiid, uh, and I think it was last year's uh, round one series against, I think it was Portland, they played one in six games. He was at 33 points and 10 rebounds. So clearly both able to dominate long series, play big big minutes and big load. But as I said, I think just that passing ability um, and uh, that ability to make your teammates better in creative things are getting a bit too tight or your, your, your shot goes and he can still be really effective. Yeah, he, he certainly does get the the edge in the assisting uh, category. As you said, their number's very similar. Um, the difference was Embiid averaging three assists a game and Jokic six assists a game during their playoff career. And, and Jokic incredibly shooting 50-40-84 uh, from the field in his playoff career. So almost that magical 50-40-90. Embiid obviously has, has a huge advantage defensively, doesn't he? And he's seen as one of the best defenders in the NBA. He's averaged almost two blocks a game. Uh, throughout his playoff career, um, and as I said, certainly seen as as one of the best defenders. Jokic has actually put up some good, you know, defensive sort of numbers if you sort of dive into the advanced metrics, but certainly not seen as as uh, anywhere near as good a defender as Embiid. So, you know, Embiid certainly gets the, gets a tick in the defense. But I agree. I'm just going to lean slightly towards Jokic. He's just. He's pretty much right throughout his career. He's just been outstanding uh, come playoffs. And I think even uh, during the bubble when uh, Jamal Murray was was having some really big games and we were probably looking at Jokic, looking for a little bit more. But I, I think he was happy enough to take a back seat and let uh, Murray cook when Murray was going. And then last year without Murray, we saw him really, really stand up. You, you know, you ran through 
his numbers, you know, in, in that first round series against Portland at the 33 and 10 and almost five assists. And and even when they got swept against Phoenix, I think we saw him get ejected in one of those games as well. He, he averaged 25 points, 13 rebounds and almost six assists. So I think he's, he's just, as you said, just a guy that you can, you can give the ball to and he just basically can create offense, you know, from just having the ball in his hands. He's he, he seasoned this this year. probably been a little bit underrated, you know, with all the talk about Steph Curry and, and Kevin Durant having outstanding seasons, which obviously they certainly are. But, you know, he's he, he's putting up a, a, a PER of 35.4, which is the best ever. I, th- I think Chamberlain or, or Jordan have the best of all time around the 31 mark. So he's at 35.4. That's just an... Just a mind-blowing number, albeit only obviously 14 games into the season for him anyway. But, yeah, I'm, I'm going to slightly lean uh, just towards Nikola Jokic just because of his ability to, as you said, be able to, you know, assist and, and help his teammates out as much as possible. G- given Embiid's dominance on the defensive end, is that something that you sort of look at and and maybe having a rethink about it, you, you might sort of lean more towards Embiid? Oh, no, I think you, you take that into account. and You know, he's a, clearly a terrific interior defender. I think it'll be interesting to see how that translates without Simmons. I think often, you know, he's certainly an advantage when you've got a perimeter defender like Ben Simmons, you know, taking that taking that load um, as well and, and sharing that. So without Simmons there, it's going to really put a lot more pressure uh, defensively on Embiid. And I don't think we, you know, clearly haven't been able to see enough of that so far as to whether the defensive numbers for him are going to be able to maintain. He's going to be just asked to do so much more at that end uh, without a guy like Simmons in the, in the lineup. So, yeah, clearly a, a, a terrific shot blocker and, and a real presence and menace in the paint. But, um, yeah, I think a lot of that in the past has um, been uh, assisted by having a defender like Simmons um, in the backcourt as well. So, yeah, I'd still just lean towards Jokic uh, at this point. I think he's probably the superior player just at the moment. And, and as I said, they, they've had very, very similar playoff starts and haven't really been able to either of them get all the way yet. So um, it'd be interesting to see whether that changes uh, this season. It'd be great if one of them can get through to the, to the finals. Yeah, well, hopefully Murray gets back and and Jokic gets a, a real shot at it because I reckon if if Murray had stayed healthy, I, the, the Nuggets would have been the team to beat in the West. Obviously, Phoenix sort of got you know a bit of a passage through with some injuries. I, I would have been really interested to see how deep the Denver Nuggets could have gone with a healthy Murray. So hopefully he co- he comes back and can contribute for for Denver in the back half of the season. And I know I said that they're both healthy going into the playoffs. You've you've just got to have that question mark, don't you, about Embiid's ability to back up night after night, playing heavy minutes, um, shouldering a huge load, both offensively and defensively. Will he wear down, as we've seen him do in the past with that knee injury um, and his back? He's he's, he's had a multitude of problems. So that's the other reason that that I would lean towards Jokic, even though I did say they'd be fit going into the into the playoff series. We'll move on now, Caddy, to the next one. This one I find really interesting. So I'll ask you, Caddy, for a Game 7 finals, who would you rather have, Giannis or LeBron James? Um, I think this is um, an interesting one. I, I think it's certainly changed in terms of, you know, a lot of recency bias, probably just what we've seen so recently from, from Giannis, obviously last year, you know, really dominating the, the playoffs. He, he played in... One game seven last year um, against Brooklyn, I think they took him to seven. So 
he experienced that there, and then we obviously just saw him absolutely dominate Phoenix in the, in the finals in a, in a six game series. We we haven't really had to see LeBron at that level, you know. Obviously, he, you know, played in the in the finals, um, the bubble against Miami, and and he was you know you know fantastic, obviously, in in that series as well. And, and he's got a you know a storied history, really, LeBron in terms of his his playoffs. And you know, if you look at the game sevens, he has played in the last one was back in 2018, so he hasn't actually played in the Game 7 for about three years. And in that game against Boston, he played 48 minutes, 35 points, 15 rebounds, 9 assists. So he certainly didn't shirk away from that. Uh, he also played in the Game 7 against Indiana in t- 2018 for Cleveland in that same year. Uh, and in that Game 7, he had 43 minutes, 45 points, 8 rebounds, 7 assists, 4 steals. So... You know, he, he clearly was was showing up in those big games and, and all the way back to early in the career, there was, looking at one here, Game 7 against Boston uh, 2008 where he played 47 minutes, 45 points and five rebounds, six assists. So he, he's got a, a terrific history of playing well in, in, in those big games and I think there was a bit of a knock on him early in his career, uh, you know, whether he didn't stand up for, you know, you know some of those key, main, uh, key moments or he was showing away, but I think those sort of stats suggested, you know, he, he was certainly up for those big games. I just think um, what we've seen from Giannis so recently in that last playoff series just really um, sits in your mind where really Phoenix had no answer answer for him in those six games where he averaged 35 points, 13 rebounds, five assists. And I think, you know, as LeBron continues to age, he just can't, I don't think, be relied on to sort of have that type of impact in, in potentially a game seven. Look, he, he might be able to come good for that, you know, really step up for that one game, but it means he's had to also play through six other games and get to get to that. You just wonder whether the body can can really stand up to to that. Whereas Giannis is clearly in his prime, um, and we saw that in the playoffs last year. And and I, I could really see him, you know, continuing to take those big games apart for the foreseeable future. And so um, I've got here that um, Giannis has played in two game sevens. He's averaging thirty one points, eleven rebounds. So you know, he, he's up for the task too. But I just think being the younger player right in his prime and, and on the back of um, obviously last year's terrific final series um, I'd probably surprisingly give Giannis uh, the nod there. It's interesting isn't it because it, it was always seen like LeBron hasn't won an MVP for a number number of seasons now but you know pretty much since he's won that MVP whenever the question's asked who the best player in the NBA is, the answer's always been LeBron, despite the fact he hasn't won an MVP. And that's based on the fact that if you if you were to say, pick one player for a Game 7 finals, who is that? The answer has always been LeBron James, as I said. So, But now, look, there's no doubt that if you're picking either of these guys for, for a whole season, you're going to take Giannis just because he's younger, he's more durable. You know, LeBron's already been injured this year. He's had a couple of injury since he's gone to, to the Lakers. So certainly age is starting to catch up to him. But but in a, in a Game 7 finals, the most important game, obviously, of, of the season, can LeBron still step up and and be the best player in the NBA? That, that, that's a huge question. You, you, you rattled out some of his stats for, for Game 7s during the finals. But just talking Game 7 finals, he's played in two throughout his career. So Game 7, 2016 against the Warriors where they came back from that 3-1 deficit uh, to win what was seen as basically, you know, the, the, they're basically gone when they were down 3-1. No one had ever come back from a 3-1 deficit. So in that Game 7 against the Warriors, he 27 points, 11 rebounds, 
Uh, 11 assists, two steals, three blocks, including that that huge one on Iguodala that everybody remembers. Played almost 47 minutes, so nearly went the whole way in a Game 7 finals and obviously came to the party stats-wise. And then also Game 7 2013 against the San Antonio Spurs. Um, everybody remembers that series, of course, with that Ray Allen shot in Game 6 to, to send it to Game 7. Uh, LeBron in Game 7 against the Spurs uh, that day, 37 points, 12 rebounds, 4 assists, 5 of 10 from 3, uh, which which was huge in and, and almost 45 minutes. So, again, played huge minutes. So, as you said, there, there was a little bit of a question mark earlier on in LeBron's career, probably sort of came from, from that Dallas series in his first year at Miami when uh, – Incredibly, J.J. Barea was the one defending him in the post and he, he certainly shrunk in the moment and, and Dwayne Wade was the one that was trying to carry Miami to the championship that year and LeBron sort of shrunk, as I said, and, and after that he went away and, and came back the best player in the world and since then hasn't looked back. But we, we haven't we haven't seen Giannis get to a Game 7 of a, of a finals as yet, but the next best thing was that Game 6 last year against Phoenix, that closeout Game 6, he had 50 points. 14 rebounds and two two assists, five blocks, uh, shot 64% from the field and incredibly 17 of 19 from the free throw line given his struggles that he'd had right throughout the playoffs where, you know, the opposition uh, supporters were counting down from the free throw line. So he, he stepped up big time in the biggest game of his career so far. So, yeah, it's a tough one for me because, as I said, I've always said LeBron's still the guy you want to go with, but but – Similar to you, just because of the age and 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 as you said, LeBron would would have obviously played not only six games to get to a game seven finals, but you know three series before that. Who knows how long they'd gone for? So I'm just going to lead Giannis, uh, just purely based on the fact that he is that younger player, um, and and I just feel that he's probably going to have a little bit more in the tank come a game seven finals. All right, we'll now move on to when I posed this one to you uh, last night, Caddy. I was going to say for the rest of their contracts, but incredibly, their their contracts are almost identical. They're both they both owed ninety one million dollars uh, over the next two seasons. So I'll frame it this way, Caddy: If you were the GM of the Los Angeles Lakers, who would you prefer for the for the rest of the season, Russell Westbrook or John Wall? Yeah, well, that changes things because, yeah, the original question about who, who would you rather for the rest of their contracts, I would have gone with Westbrook because at least he's playing and there's, you know, a way to see him playing. You just wonder how, you know, John Wall's going to be able to get back on the court. Clearly, Houston have got no interest in playing him for the re- remainder of this year and then he's got that player option next year at $47 million, which will be really interesting to see what he does there. I mean, you, you think he's got to opt into that. Um, if you don't, if he doesn't get... Traded and doesn't play at all this year. Yeah, it's a lot of money to say no to, but surely he wants to play basketball at some stage. He's, he's been injured a lot throughout his career. He's actually healthy, but not playing. So, could you foresee him actually opting out of that just so he can play some basketball? I'll, I'll put it to you this way: if he was to basically, or if they were to say to him, "Look, you can opt into that contract, or if he opts in and look, we're not going to play you again. You can take the you know fifty million bucks." But there's just no trade available to us, and you know that's your choice. You've got one year, fifty million, or if he was to go and sign somewhere, just say for the same money, forty-seven million, but over three years, he's guaranteed his same money, but he's going to have to play. You know, say it's you know for argument's sake, the Charlotte Hornets, he goes there, they offer him three million, uh, three years for the forty-seven million. What do you think he'd pre- prefer to do? Take the forty-seven million and sit out again, or take forty-seven knowing he's got to play? 
a further three years to, to get that money. I reckon he'd take the 47 over three years because I think once this contract's done, he, you know, he, he might be a, a mid-level player at best, so you're looking at eight, nine million a year. So I, I think he'd be pretty happy to take 47 over three years. I'm just looking at at his career earnings so far, $188 million. So it's not as if he's short of a dollar. I mean, we're talking saying no to $47 million, which seems just ridiculous to, to myself or you. But, uh, you know, when you're talking big numbers that these guys have made throughout their careers, you know, $188 million, he can make that, that up over three years. I, I think, you know, he, he would definitely take the, the three years 47. Yeah, it's going to be really fascinating because, yeah, they've made it quite clear this year in Houston that he's not going to be a part of the team. And, and, you know, they're basically using him as a, a guy just to help develop some of the other players. But you just wonder how long he's going to be patient to do that. And as you said, you know, next year is really, really interesting because it's going to be basically his decision to whether he opts into that money or looks to, to knock it back and just sign a, a longer-term deal somewhere. But, but he might not even make that money or, at best, you know, get that same money but over a longer period. So you just wonder what sort of physical condition he's in now. And, you know, we did see him play when he did get traded from Washington to Houston, he'd obviously missed the whole 2019-2020 season with the, the injury after he got, he fell down the stairs at home or something that happened to him. So he played the 40 games last year uh, for Houston, obviously without a huge amount of success from a from a team point of view. But he was still able to show, I think initially at least, that you know he still had something less left in the tank. And you just wonder again with another missed season, on the back of you know missing the whole season prior to this one, as to to how long he he's got left, and and whether that's going to be at a better level than what we're seeing from Russell Westbrook. I mean, he averaged the twenty points a game last year, seven assists. So that's at least from a scoring point of view, marrying up pretty well to what Russell Westbrook's bringing to the table for the LA Lakers. I mean, Westbrook clearly pads out stats in other areas, but I think in terms of a fit uh, with Davis and LeBron, I think John Wall on paper would certainly fits better, um, and I think he's probably a, a better a better shooter from outside than what Westbrook is. Although that might be you know a stretch as well. He, he hasn't shot the ball well from out uh, from three point land for a number of years, John Wall. So I don't know whether that's necessarily the case or not. But I think just from a, a playmaking, a sacrificial role that he'd probably be more open to playing than what we're seeing from Westbrook. Maybe he would fit better um, on this year's LA Lakers. So <laughs> whether or not that's ever going to be able to be manufactured. I don't know that Westbrook would be uh, thrilled about getting back to Houston at any stage, but um, but they've already been the traded Lakers. for each other once. Why not bloody do it again? No, well, that's right. And I think you know, as I said, it'd be quite a fascinating one if you're taking it on face value that John Wall's fit and healthy and um, ready to play. Then I think he would theoretically have be a better fit alongside Davis and LeBron. I actually agree with you. As, as strange as it sounds, it, it, it's it's really it's really interesting what's going on in Houston. The fact that they're just sort of able to sit a guy that's healthy. I mean, we saw OKC do it last year with Horford. Um, so, so it's certainly, you know, not the first time this has happened, but it's it's just bizarre. I mean, they've won one game for the season, Houston, and and we're seeing some of their young guys, you know, Kevin Porter Jr. and, and Jalen Green just struggling, you know, with, you know, with the burden, I suppose, of handling the ball a lot. Surely bringing John Wall in, can only help them. He's not going to. He's not that good that they're going to just start, you know, peeling off five or six game winning streaks. So it's just really strange to me that he's not playing at all. But you know, talking about who's who's a better fit, I agree. I I think it's John Wall. You ran through Wall's numbers from last year: the, the twenty points a game, seven assists. 
they're eerily similar to what Westbrook is doing this year. Westbrook's at the 19 points and eight assists. As you said, he pads out his stats with the rebounds. But even when you dive into to their field goal percentage, 40% from, from the field, 31% from three last year for John Wall, 42% from the field, 30%. Um, from three for Westbrook this year. The PERs are even almost identical. 15 PER for Westbrook this year, 15.4 last year for John Wall. But, you know, let's bear in mind that John Wall was playing for a bad Houston team. He didn't have a lot of talent around him and obviously had the burden of trying to sort of pilot a bad team uh, to some wins. So you put him on a good team with LeBron and Davis, I think it's obviously going to be much easier for him. And as you said, I, I just think the fit's better. Uh, John Wall, he's, he's always been, you know, happy to more a pass first point guard, you know, where Westbrook certainly looks to to get his own uh, shot, you know, more so than you than John Wall does. And even the game we saw yesterday with Westbrook, he had a really bad third quarter. Took three, I think it was three bad shots. The only decent shot he took was was an assist off. I think Davis kicked it out to him and he knocked down a three. But then we saw the good side of Westbrook at the start of the last quarter where they actually uh, fed him the ball and and Tatum sort of got switched out onto him a couple of times at the start of that last quarter and Westbrook blew by him and, and scored pretty easily. Uh, but then they put Marcus Smart on him and, and that stopped. So yeah, the, the fit's just been really clunky so far for Westbrook and I, I agree, as strange as it sounds, it, it's um, I would lean towards John Wall as well. Uh, do, do you find it interesting as well, or weird, Caddy, that – Wall's not playing at all for Houston. Surely he's going to be beneficial for these young guys, at least taking the court and sort of showing them the ropes and at least taking some burden off the young guys. Yeah, well, I agree with the point. You know, they've already lost enough games that even if he came back into the fold, he's not going to affect winning, I don't think, um, or, or, you know, sacrifice any potential hope they've got around, you know, the, the lottery ping pong balls. But, yeah, you just think, you know, they're, they're clearly stumping up the cash to, to pay his weekly salary. You might as well get something out of him and, and at least, you know, not, not send Jalen Green to the Wolves, so to speak, so early in his career and, and at least alleviate some of that that pressure off him you know, to be the you know the main scorer on that team. So, yeah, I just think it's a shame for a guy that's missed so much basketball um, over the past few years, really. And, and you know, he, he's had some injury concerns all the way through his career as well. He's missed a lot of games uh, through a number of different seasons. So you, you're just missing another, another season of, of a guy's Basketball career, who you know, obviously a former number one pick, so talented, and and really hasn't probably ever got to the level that we would have loved to have seen on a consistent basis, and and particularly from a playoff point of view, never really there was that once you know the series that I think it was against Boston when he was with Washington, where they you know had a really good series against those guys, and had that famous moment jumping up onto the the scorers table, and you just wanted to see more opportunity for for Wall, and he's clearly you know not going to get to that level playing for Houston, but at least. Maybe getting out there, and I, I just don't see the benefit of not playing him when you can at least get him out there playing really well. Maybe showcasing what he's still got in the tank to to hopefully you know execute a trade. And you know we've said over the journey so many players, oh that contract's untradeable, that contract's untradeable. But then we continue. No to see contracts them. untradeable, Katie. Well, that's right. We've seen them traded. So I just wonder why this one seems to be in that case where it does now look untradeable, particularly for this year, when they you know, pretty much come out and say they're not going to play him. Why wouldn't Wall's uh, management be looking to, either from a buyout point of view or from a you know forcing a trade, at least something? Surely Houston could bring get something back in return for him if someone was willing to take on his salary. And there'd be a few teams out there that are, are probably able to do that. Um, 
but yeah, it just seems to be um, no one's really talking about it as an issue, and, and, and there's just not not much getting said, which just leads you to think that maybe it is what it is, and you'll just sit out the season and 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 look to see what he does with that player option into next season. There were some rumours throughout the week that you know Miami might be interested. I'm assuming that was, you know, either buyout was executed. But yeah, it it, it is a shame to see his career go this way because, as you said, a former number one uh, draft pick. I remember the first time I saw John Wall play on TV. It just he absolutely jumped off the screen. It was in a league full of incredible athletes. This guy was absolutely just a blur. Like him and Russell Westbrook were probably the two fastest and best athletes in the whole NBA, and you know you said he's had he had some really good playoff series, and that, that's you know that's been the case back in twenty seventeen in that first round series against Atlanta. He was almost thirty points a game and ten assists. So this is a guy that you know pre injury was was just absolutely incredible. Him and Beal looked like they were they were going to form a really good partnership, but unfortunately due to injuries, he's certainly been you know sapped of. Of his speed and and uh, athletic ability, he's still still certainly uh, good enough to contribute. But yeah, I, it, it's just strange what they're doing there. It, play him every second or third game or whatever it may be. But as you said, at least get him out on the court, uh, showcase him. You know, we're seeing with Ben Simmons how hard it is to trade a guy who isn't playing because there's just sort of that lingering concern from from other teams. So get Wall out there at least play him some games and, and hopefully get him onto a team and it would be really good uh, to see him be able to contribute to, to, to a winning team because he's certainly got the capabilities of, of still being able to do that despite, you know, his advanced age now. I think he's still only 30, but, you know, all these injuries have piled up, but he's still a still a very good player. So we'll call it there, Caddy. As I say, every week, thank you to everybody who continues to download the podcast. Uh, if you haven't as yet, please jump on Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating. That would be much appreciated. Also, jump on Facebook, uh, like the page we've got there. We post every episode up on there so you'll know when uh, a show has been recorded and and posted. And as I say every now and then, Caddy, if you've got any friends that you know are NBA heads and you could introduce them to this podcast, that would be much appreciated. Until next week, we'll talk to you then. (laughs) 